Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I wanted to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. We are so excited that you have chosen to listen and join with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And we know that God is doing amazing things in our community, and I am blown away at how many people have told me that Renaissance has provided a place for them to rediscover Jesus. It's given them a caring church family to be a part of, and has helped to transform their lives. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged, helped, and strengthened because of what's happening here at Renaissance, then I'd like to ask you to become an investor in what God is doing in our city. And here's one way that you can do that. Go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the leaders here at the church. It's great to see all of you. Um, We're going to do what we like to do every week, which is study our Bible. So if you brought a Bible with you, I would encourage you to turn to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. And if you don't have a Bible with you, that's fine. We have put hardback black Bibles underneath the seat close to you, and you're welcome to use that Bible. And if you don't have any familiarity with the Bible, Genesis is the first part of the Bible, so you can just turn the first few pages in. You'll find Genesis chapter 17. And let me also add this. If, if anyone here doesn't own a Bible, doesn't have a copy of the scriptures, um, hear me. Not that you've misplaced yours. Like, yeah, I've got one somewhere. I don't know where it is. But like, if you don't own a Bible, I want you to know those are for you. We, we buy those for you. You can take them with you. You can write your name in it. It can become yours. I need you to know this. People come and go with those Bibles all the time. I was at a Bible study not long ago, and a guy walks in with a Bible he took from here, and I rejoiced in that. So if, if you don't have a Bible, take one with you. We'll buy more, right, and we'll put them under the seats, and someone will have one next week. Um, I just want to pray for us. I've already prayed for us this morning, but I just real quick uh, want to join together with you and just ask God to help us understand a little bit. Is that okay? So let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for our time together. Uh, We know that everything we do is because of Jesus, and truly it's for Jesus. We know the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us, that he is willing to give up his life so that we could have a new life. We thank you, God, for sending Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God who dwells in us and among us and helps us to understand, to learn, to make sense of all of these old stories that we read in the book of Genesis. Holy Spirit, we pray that you help us today. Make make a difference in our lives today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So uh, an interesting thing happened to me in the last week or so. I was reminded of something from my past. Now, I don't know if this is just an old man waxing nostalgic on his younger years, right? Maybe that happens. It's a common thing as people get a little older. But I was reminded of something that happened to me when I was a young boy, or rather something I did when I was a young boy. I wrote a letter to NASA, right? (laughs) Which doesn't sound like a big deal, but remember, this is before the internets, and you had to actually know the address and all of it. I mean, I did all the research, and I wrote a letter to NASA, and I was I was um, asking about the, the planet Jupiter, right? Is that the one with the big red dot on it, if I remember right? And I said, what in the world is that big red dot? That was my question to NASA, right? <laughs> Whatever, some eight-year-old kid, right? Um, 
wait for it, they wrote me back. I promise you, I got a letter back in the mail some weeks later um, with an answer as to what they think the red dot on Jupiter is. Not only did they answer the question, but they sent me posters that the telescopes had taken, right, of the planet. And I remember putting them up in my room. I was just blown away by this. And for whatever reason, this thought comes back to my mind. And And I was also remembering how uh, my friend Rodney, who lived down the street from me, we would oftentimes lay on the concrete approach of my driveway as as day would turn to night, and we would begin to just look into the sky. You know the the time of day I'm talking about, where where the the, the concrete is still giving off a little bit of the heat from the day, and and the uh, fireflies are beginning to sprinkle the neighborhood, and, and the stars begin to come out. And from Cub Scouts, I could find the Big Dipper, huh? How awesome is that? And the North Star, and I I just, I just remember being enamored with all things outer space. And it wasn't until I became a Christian, well into my 20s, did it begin to dawn on me what was actually happening. It wasn't just that I was inquisitive, which most young people and young boys are for sure, but there's something else at work. Paul the Apostle writes this in Romans chapter 1. He says that all of creation, it is speaking to us. Do you hear that? That God is in fact talking to you and to me. And as a young child, I was beginning to hear the voice of God. I just didn't know what it was at the time. Paul continues to say that, that creation speaks from God and it begins to define for us or describe for us his invisible attributes or his invisible qualities. That though we cannot see God, we know he exists by the things that he creates. And of these qualities that Paul wants us to to understand that creation tells us about is his eternal power. You hear that? Eternal power. My daughters who are constantly arguing over who gets the phone charger in the car because who has the most battery power? I'm a 28%, I'm a 22, and they win. They get to plug in their phone. Hear me. Eternal power. Oh, it does not end. It continues on and on and on. Not only do we learn from creation about his eternal power, but we see his divine nature. That He's very much not like us. That we were made like him, but he ain't like us. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he is God. And, and, and as I think back to those times and um, begin to understand that when I'm looking into the, the nighttime sky, looking into our universe or galaxy and just thinking about the big things of life, that's never left me. I was in high school and first thing I used to do when I'd get my driver's license is I would go driving out in the country, right? That's a whole new experience. When you leave the, the light pollution from the city, go out into the country and more stars appear and, and on and on it goes. But it's not just those things that, that cause me to be enamored in God's creation. You know, I'm a huge fan of sunsets. I say that constantly here. I'm blown away that God would put purple and orange and blue together like that. And hear me, he didn't have to do that. And I suspect sunrises are the same, but I'm typically staring at the back of my eyelids when the sun comes up. (laughs) So all I get to see is the sun set. But it's not just those things. Here's a real thing. The other day, I'm drinking a glass of iced tea, and and I tip it up. And you know that ice cube that's always in the way, (laughs) and you're trying to move it around? (laughs) Like, hear me. God, God made water a liquid One of the only liquids made that when it freezes, it in fact expands and becomes less dense and floats to the top. All the other liquids, typically when they freeze, they shrink, become more dense and sink, which means nothing to you unless you live in a a river or a pond or a lake every winter when it freezes, the water, the ice stays on top instead of falling to the bottom and 
crushes everything that's living inside of it. Ah, all of creation is speaking about God. All of this is talking about God's invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature. The problem is we can, so, we can sometimes become so fixated on the things that are right in front of us. Of all the stars in the galaxies, billions, we seem to focus on one, the one closest to us, the sun. And we basically focus on it because it calendars our life. Another trip around the sun, a friend of mine once told me this week, he just had a birthday. I won't tell you how old he is, but he's older than me. Another trip around the sun, he said. Another anniversary, maybe a wedding anniversary, maybe the anniversary of a death in your family. And we're constantly reminded of these things. We become so hyper-focused on the things that are right in front of us, we miss oftentimes the, the language of God's love for us in creation. Just, just this week, I'm driving down the road, going home. The, the God in his providence allowed the sun to come out. Hallelujah, someone, right? <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. He is alive. The sun came out, and I'm driving down the road, and I can't even focus on the beautiful blue sky because I'm trying to dodge all of the potholes on the street. <laughs> Now, is this not a, a picture of what our life is these days? Abraham, um, we began to study him last week. His, his name in the Bible is Abram until God changes his name to Abraham. So um, I'll just tell you in advance, I'm probably just going to call him Abraham because it's easier for me. But Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, we learned last week when Pastor Joe was teaching, was called by God to leave his country and go into the land that God would promise him. Right, And it's this beautiful story. And by the way, um, did anyone hear Joe preach last week? Can I, can I honestly tell you, I've been going to church a very long time. Are you, I'm going to compliment you, so don't shrink in the seat here. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever heard a better message on, on Genesis chapter 12 on the call of, of Abraham in all of my life. I mean, do, you, do you realize how great of a teacher we have in Joe here? <laughs> yes. Pay up, Joe, pay up. <laughs> and, I, and I mean that. He's a tremendous Bible teacher. I love that. But Joe was teaching us that God called Abram from a, a land in Babylonia, a land called Ur, into this promised land, the land of Canaan, that God would give to him. And, and when we begin to study Abraham, we, we begin to hear that people call him, people from traditions call him the father of the faith. Joe even told us that, that three major world religions in our world today, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, all trace their lineage back to Father Abraham. And he's known to be a man of faith, which bothers me. And it only bothers me because I read my Bible. <laughs> because yes, that's a wonderful story that God calls Abraham out of Ur into the promised land. And, 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 and the Bible tells us simply that, that Abraham obeys and God leads him there. But that's not the end of the story. See, if, you're continue, if you would continue to read in Genesis chapter 12, you see that after they land in, in, the, in Canaan, the promised land, a famine descends upon the land. And to save their lives, they, they descend south into Egypt. And Abraham takes his wife, Sarah. They go down into Egypt to live, to survive. But as they're about to go into Egypt, he, he has this incredible moment where he looks at his wife and he goes, man, you're good looking. <laughs> 
That's a real thing. It's in the Bible, Genesis chapter 12, verse 11. He says, you're pretty hot smoking wife right here, right here. And he says, listen, I'm going to walk into Egypt. The Egyptians are going to see you and how beautiful you are. And then they're going to kill me because I'm your husband. Like all of us guys have seen that hot, okay, that good looking lady. And you look at the guy and you go, and she's with him? (laughs) This is Abraham's life all of a sudden. (laughs) Affectionately, we call this a nickel chasing a dime. Anyone? (laughs) And we have many of those couples in the church. I won't. (laughs) I'm looking at you, Kevin. (laughs) I won't tell you who's who. All right. (laughs) Abraham, the father of the faith, because his faith is so great, he connives with his wife and he says, listen, when we go in, don't tell them you're married to me. They'll kill me. They'll see how beautiful you are. They'll take you from me and, and murder me. Tell them you're my brother. So this is the plan. And they go in, and sure enough, the the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, sees how beautiful Sarah is, and he takes her into his harem. He takes her as his wife. Husbands, I don't know if this is okay. Abraham, the father of the faith, does not now have belief, right, that God is going to take him back to the land that he promised him. Abraham, the father of our faith, the man of faith, all of a sudden trying to scheme a plan to survive. Sure enough, this Pharaoh takes Sarah into his harem and God is not okay with it, just so you know. So God, he sends plagues and plagues against Pharaoh and his family. And so Pharaoh finally says, something's going on. And he finally realizes that Sarah is in fact married to Abraham. And he says, why have you done this to me? And he kicks him out. Now, listen, this is, this is showing to us that Abraham did not have the faith to believe that God would take him to his promised land. This is the struggle I have when I continue to read in Genesis chapter 15, when God comes back to Abraham in a vision and he says, remember that promised land I gave to you? I'm also going to give it to you and all of your descendants. And Abraham says, but God, I, my wife and I, we're well advanced in years and we don't have any children yet. And this is what I love. In Genesis chapter 15, God takes Abraham outside of his tent at night. And I wonder if this is not why I was thinking about my youth and the stars. But he takes Abraham out of his tent and he says, look into the heavens. And he says, count the stars if you can. And, and, and so shall your descendants be. And I want you to know, out there before any light pollution, the stars went from the horizon to the horizon. There are stars everywhere. And I wonder how long God let Abraham go. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. How, how long did he let him count? That's awesome. <laughs> when, <laughs> when, how long did he let it go before he stopped him? Hear me, this is not just a, this is not just a, a picture of, of God saying you're going to have a son and you're going to have multiple children and, and grandsons, etc. I think this is actually God speaking to him from his created order again, saying the man, the God who did that can do this thing in your life. He, 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 he says that, Abraham says, the only person I have in my family who's going to inherit anything from me is my servant Eleazar. And God says, no. Hear this, if, before we move forward, the problems in your life, the issues in your life, 
hear me, they are not problems to God. They are not. And, and every once in a while, God will drag us out of our situation, out of our current circumstance, and he'll say, look at what I've done. This issue that, that you have, <laughs> it's not an issue to me, he says. But Abraham, oh, how faithful he was. Are you kidding me? God comes in and reminds him again. I wonder who the faithful one is in this relationship, to be honest with you. Was it really that Abraham was so faithful, or was it that God was faithful to Abraham? And if he's faithful to him, how much more faithful will he be to me and to you? God comes to Abraham in this vision, and he says, you're going to have more children than you can possibly even count. And fast forward to Genesis chapter 16, and we're almost to 17, by the way. Genesis chapter 16, now Sarah gets involved in this untrust or distrust and disbelief, and she says, listen, Abe, it doesn't look like it's going to happen for us. Right? So I have this maidservant. She belongs to me. Her name is Hagar. Not to be confused with Sammy's sister, Hagar. Just as you... <laughs> Joe, stop. That was, I, I will not repeat that at the 1045. Listen. He says, take my maidservant, Hagar, and lay with her. And, you can, and she'll be a surrogate for me. And the child that she'll bear will be my child. And sounds like a good plan. We're going to come alongside and help God figure this thing out. Because, you know, sometimes God needs help. <laughs> yeah. Good luck with that. So when Hagar does become pregnant, rather than joy and happiness exploding from Sarah's heart, she's embittered against Hagar. And she begins to treat her poorly. In fact, so much that Hagar leaves camp. She just says, I'm out of here. Luckily, God notices, sends an angel of the Lord to Hagar and says, what's going on? And, and she tells him the story. And she says, no, 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 you go back. I'm going to take care of this. She eventually gives birth to a son. Abraham names this son Ishmael. But this son is not the promised son. And so God comes back again, again. I, I ask you again, who was the faithful one here? Was Abraham truly the faithful one or was it God being faithful to him? So in chapter 17, verse 1, we begin to read. And it says, when Abraham was 99 years old, this is 13 years after Ishmael was born. So he's now 99 years old. The Lord again appears to Abraham and he says to him, I am God Almighty. The Hebrew words, God Almighty, is El Shaddai. And traditionally, we, we take this to mean that I am sufficient for you. Now, I want you to picture this. God has been um, actively watching Abraham and his life. He's been seeing him wander into disbelief and distrust and self-sufficiency and all of these things. And when God comes to him again in 17 verse 1, he says these words, I am sufficient for you. Bless you. I am sufficient for you. That's a Bible app. It's reading. Let's rejoice. <laughs> Was I right? Was that the Bible app? That's awesome. And I've done that. I've sat right there when Joe was preaching and I pushed play or something. I did that. It's all good. It doesn't hurt to have more Bibles being read at the same time. He says, I am God Almighty. I am sufficient for you. 
He says, walk before me and be blameless. He's saying, you've been wandering around to the side and to the left and to the back and this and that. He says, stop doing that. Stay in front of me. Stay right here where I can see you. Stay right here where where you can see me, where you know everything that's going on. And, And he says, and be blameless. Now, I want you to hear this. I do not see this as two commands. I do not see walk before me and be blameless. What I see is a single command that God is giving. He says, walk before me and become or be blameless. That when you, and know this, that the word blameless does, cannot be translated sinless. That's not what the word blameless means. It means wholeness. He says, walk before me and be whole. Walk before me and completely surrender yourself to me. That's what he's telling Abraham to do. He says, give it all up. This, this idea that you can fix it. This idea that somehow you can medicate it away. This idea that you can somehow change it if you just discipline your life more and try harder and devote more and give more and this and that. God's saying, stop, walk before me and be blameless. Surrender fully, wholeheartedly, completely to me, he says. And, and then he adds, and I will make a covenant with you. Look at this. He says, that I may make my covenant between me and you and I will multiply you greatly. It comes back to the original promise in Genesis chapter 15. God has not forgotten this thing. It is going to happen, and I will do it. And then it says in verse 3, then Abraham fell on his face. What a picture of worship. What a a picture of what happens when God arrests you in your waywardness, and you just stop trying so hard. (laughs) What a picture of a complete surrender. He just falls before the Lord and stops. And then for the next five verses or so, we just repeat the, we continue to hear God repeatedly say, I will, I will, I will, he says. He says, verse six, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations and kings are gonna come from you. Verse seven, and I will establish my covenant between me and you. Verse eight, and I will give to you your offspring and the land of, the, of your sojournings, all of that to, of Canaan back to your offspring. And I will be their God. God, on and on it goes. God is going to make a covenant. It is his covenant. It belongs to him. It originates from him. And all he's asking Abraham to do is simply Walk before him and be complete. Walk before him, surrender your life to me, is all he's saying. And the covenant belongs to you as well. The beautiful thing is, um, that's God's portion, and and then he moves into man's portion, verse nine. So then God says to Abraham, as for you, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, and throughout their generations. And then he says, this here is the covenant which you should keep between me and you, and your offspring. I love how God just repeats and repeats and repeats. He says, every male among you should be circumcised. Hmm? (laughs) Noah got a rainbow. I'm just saying. (laughs) He did. Noah got a rainbow. Every male should be circumcised. It's going to be a long night is what he's thinking. This idea of a covenant, it's an oath. We don't really have a, a modern parallel. Maybe the marriage covenant that we see. I, I was fortunate to be a part of a wedding yesterday. 
Um, a young couple got married. It's so wonderful to see young people come together. It's also so great to watch the panic hit their face. <laughs> like, right, if there's a moment, I was telling my wife about this, right in the middle of the ceremony, there's a switch that takes place, and all of a sudden, it's real. <laughs> like, for real, real. And, and it's like all the blood leaves their face. It's so great. <laughs> I just smile. This, this oath that God is taking belongs to him. He established it. He'll finish it. He's going to do it. And he says, and all I'm asking you to do is have faith to believe, and, and you'll show me that faith by circumcising the males in your household. Now, hear me, the circumcision is not the covenant. It's not the covenant. It's a symbol or it's a sign of the covenant, but the covenant comes from God, and by faith you'll, you'll do this thing. Now, why circumcision? I don't know the answer. Most commentators don't fully agree on all of this, but I'll, I'll posit three possible solutions that most people could agree with. Number one, the covenant that God is making with his people is a blood covenant. And it's something significant in that. We don't have much time to go through that, but this is more than a promise. This is a, a blood covenant. It's a blood oath. And, and circumcision will draw blood from the male, and it's marked by blood. Secondarily, I also think that because the promise is through the seed of Abraham, and this place, not to be too graphic, is where the seed comes out of Abraham, I also don't wonder if, if God isn't, in fact, marking that spot as well. And then lastly, and we'll get to this in just a few moments, but the covenant that God is making with Abraham is permanent. See, you don't uncircumcise someone. That sounds strange to say, but, but it's true. That's the reality of what happens. Once it's cut off, it's, it's not to be reattached. It's gone. It's a permanent, or what the Bible would say, what Moses would call is an everlasting covenant. And so he, he does this wonderful thing. He, 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 let me just keep reading here. He hears God, and then in verse 15, skipping forward here, it says that God comes to Abraham, and as, as far as Sarah, or Sarai, your wife, she shall no longer be called Sarai, but I'm going to call her Sarah. So God changes her name, too. And she shall have a child, verse 17, right? <laughs> and it says, and then he says that she's going to have a child. And then it says, and Abraham fell on his face again, but this time not in, in devotion to God. He falls on his face because he's doubled over laughing at the idea that his wife, who's you know, old and advanced in years is going to have a child. And, and he says, I just can't believe it. And he starts to laugh. And so God says in verse 18, Abraham said to God, oh, he says, I want my son Ishmael, who's now 13. May he live before you. Why can't he be the promised one? Why can't he be the one? And God says no to him. I want you to underline that in your Bibles. Pay attention to that. God said no to him. oftentimes we'll try to work alongside with God. We have this great idea of what God wants to do. I'll even go further than that. I believe God gives us ideas. I think God gives us plans. The Bible tells us he gives us desires to be seated in a heart that we might then pursue. And we can be in the middle of that pursuit when all of a sudden God stands in the middle of it and says, not this way. The plan is still right. The result will still be the same, but not the way you're doing it. No, he says. No, no greater word will expose your insecurities than no from God. No other word will, will expose your lack of faith than the word no from God. God said, no, we're going to do it my way. Your wife will have a son, right? And she does. 
She calls him Isaac. Isaac just means he laughs, which I think is funny because God gets the last laugh in that one. You're going to laugh at my plan? Well, here, name your son. He laughs. And so when he finishes talking to him, fast forward to the end of chapter 17, verse 26. And after God has this exchange with Abraham, it says, and on that very day, that very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house, and those bought with money from a foreigner, they were all circumcised with him. Now, now hear me, this is the moment that I think faith really becomes genuine in his life. That he's had a period of wandering and wavering, but now God comes in time and time and time again and says, I'm going to establish this. Okay? And Abraham responds by faith. By faith, he takes the mark of circumcision and, and believes. So I question <laughs> um, this idea of circumcision. What happened is the, God's promise rang true. Abraham has many sons. They grow into a great nation called the children of Israel, and they begin to prosper in this promised land, this Canaan, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And check this. After some time, they broke the covenant with God. They actually stopped circumcising their sons. And God, who keeps his promises, <laughs> he says, if you're not going to keep my covenant with you, I'm not keeping it with you either. And listen to this. God cuts off Israel from the promised land. And the Bible uses that, those words specifically. He cuts them off. Since you're not going to cut off the foreskin, I will cut you off from the promised land. And, and listen to this. And he exiles them back into Babylonia, which ironically is where Abraham is from. Do you remember this? He calls them out of that land into the promised land and they're there and they're fruitful and, they're, and it's going swimmingly, they would say, right? God is doing everything that he said they would do, but then they refuse to keep the covenant with him. And so God cuts them off and sends them back. But God is not like us. God is faithful to us even when we're not faithful to him and he sends a man a prophet named Jeremiah. And Jeremiah begins to speak the oracles of God to the people in exile in Babylon. And he says these words in uh, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. He says, I'm going to do something new. I'm going to change this. Skip down to verse 33. For this is the covenant that I'm going to make with Israel. He says, I'm going to put my law within them. I'm going to write it on their hearts. I'm going to be their God, and they shall be my people. It's the same language, basically, but instead of being marked externally through circumcision, God is going to do something internally in our hearts, something we cannot see, something that only God can do. He's going to do this work for us. This new covenant is ushered in through our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And we're going to take communion today. And famously, Jesus breaks bread on that last supper with his disciples. And he says, today I'm ushering in a new covenant. Now, we'll spend some time during communion to talk about that. Um, but as I sort of wind down here, I want, to, um, I want to ask a couple questions. What happened to circumcision? I know God was going to do a new covenant. It's going to be a new thing in our hearts. But, but what happened here? 
And, and I, I, when I first started studying this week, I took out my notepad and I wrote three questions at the top. And the first one was, why don't we still use circumcision? And, and in my studies, I ran across something that I just thought I'd share with you. Um, after Jesus had died on a cross, been buried in a grave, and God raised him from the dead. Happy Easter, right? We're going to celebrate that in a few weeks. Um, Jesus spent some time with his disciples. And at the end of his time with them, before he returns back to heaven to be with the Father, he pulls them aside and he famously commissions them into the world. And he says, now go into all of the nations and make disciples. And then he says these words, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hear me, Jesus does not say circumcise them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which, to be very frank, I'm thankful for. Makes my job a whole lot easier. I mean, how awesome would that be in the announcements? We were having Circumcision Sunday. <laughs> Everybody, sign up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I don't know. But, but Jesus does this interesting thing. He, he takes the ritual of baptism, which is not brand new. Jewish people have been baptizing themselves over and over again. It goes back into the Old Testament times. Baptism is a ceremonial washing of things. Women, when they would come off their menstrual cycle, they would baptize themselves and become pure again, and they'd go back into the family and this and that. I mean, it's a common thing, but Jesus takes this, this common thing from them and changes the symbol of the covenant. No longer will we circumcise, now we baptize. And so, which is why it's so important for us to baptize believers. When someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, we, we join with them and we say, let's, let's mark this by baptism. It is something that we are, um, we are called to do. Jesus himself was even baptized. He, he gives us the example. When I first became a Christian, I actually did not want to get baptized. I don't know why. I, I, I don't have an understanding of that yet. Um, but God lovingly brought me to the place where I needed, where I really wanted to get baptized. And I did. And it was a tremendous moment for me. But it's a picture to the world that we have been born again in Jesus Christ. And so circumcision is removed. Baptism has taken its place, and that's the mark of the believer. And, and I, I ran across some other things. Paul the Apostle, and I'll close with this. He was um, talking to the Galatian, the church in Galatia, and he says this, that neither circumcision, circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. He says, the only thing that matters here in Galatians 6.15 is that you become a new creation. And he also says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, then he is that new creation. He said, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's, it's in this moment by faith when we receive the, the gift of salvation through Christ alone, do we become new. May I remind you, the covenant is his. It's his, it belongs to him, and he gives it to us. And by faith, we receive it. By faith, we receive it. By faith, we receive Jesus. By faith, we trust Jesus. I go back to this story of Abraham, the father of the faithful. What a poor, blemished, stained example of faith in the Bible. I thought, 
isn't there a better candidate than, than Abraham? And the Lord's like, really, Jeff? <laughs> really? <laughs> Have you looked in the mirror lately? The question is not, can we be faithful to him? Is will he remain faithful to us? It's everlasting. It's forever. It's always. It, it is ours to have and to keep and to hold eternally. I want to pray for us. And while I pray, we're going to have some men and women come forward. They're going to assemble up front and they're going to eventually serve you communion. And what that means if you're visiting is we're going to have some trays with some little oyster crackers from Walmart, I think. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Come on down. And we have some grape juice. And I would just ask, if you want to join us for communion, when they begin to disperse those, you can take one. You don't have to be a member of the church to take communion with us. It's an open communion. If you're a brother and sister in Christ, if you have faith in Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian, you're welcome to join with us. And then afterwards, my friend Samantha is going to come up and talk to us about communion. And I just, I just want us to try to remember through the life of Abraham, there's a real picture of our life there as well. There are days when we disbelieve him and he's still faithful. There are days when we operate on self-sufficiency alone because we don't have the faith to believe that he could actually provide. And he's still faithful there. And on and on it goes. And as we, as we remember him in, in this moment, um, I'm, I'm just praying for us that God would really impact us today. He'd really help us understand who he is. So would you pray with me? Lord, I do thank you for our time together. I thank you, as critical as I was, um, of your, your friend, your son, Abraham. Um, I now see my life there as well. So forgive me, Lord, for glancing at him critically. And thank you, God, for, for moving in my life, even when I don't think that you are. Thank you, God, for coming in and changing my plans. <laughs> thank you, God, for saying no to me some days. God, we love you. We ask now that you'd be with us in this time of remembering um, the shed blood and the broken body of Jesus on that cross. God, use the rest of our time together to exalt Jesus, to tell you that we're thankful for what you've done. Thank you for the new covenant in Christ. We, we love you, God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.